1: From Fool Global Headquarters, this is Motley Fool Money. It's the Motley Fool Money Radio Show. I'm Chris Hill. Joining me in studio this week from Motley Fool Supernova, Matt Argusinger From Motley Fool Income Investor, James Early. And from Million Dollar Portfolio, Ron Gross. Good to see you, gents. Hey, you Good to see you, We'll great. break down the latest news from the retail industry, the sports industry, and more. Actor, comedian, and best-selling author Adam Carolla is our guest this week. And as always, we'll give you an inside look at the stocks on our radar. But we begin this week with a couple of big deals. And, Ron, let's start with Apple, mm. which is buying music company Beats Electronics for $3 billion in cash and stock. Apple is now going to offer Beats streaming music service and premium headphones. Apple's got the money. Sure, they they can spend whatever they want, but <laughs> and, and will. But does anyone expect this acquisition to really result <sighs> in a lot of new revenue for them? I do not.
2: I think it's kind of much ado about nothing. I, to be honest, I didn't even open my Excel spreadsheet to make any adjustments. <laughs> it just, just we'll see where it goes. They clearly, you know, spent this kind of money um, for. The talent, there's 500 folks over at Beats, um, good people, uh, obviously Jimmy Iovine and Dr. Dre. Um, they want to do the streaming business right. Um, Apple uh, Radio has not been what they had hoped it would be. They think um, finally Beats is, is one of the companies or the company that is getting this right versus Pandora, Spotify, and those folks. Um, and $3 billion is not a lot of money for Apple. It's weird to say, but it, it's, not, it's not a big ticket.
1: James... So did they just do it for the cool factor? I think so. I mean, you have to wonder
3: why couldn't Apple just do this themselves? I mean, why they're they're big enough? Why do they need Beats to do this? They're
1: they're paying. I mean, they're getting some value. They're just paying a lot of money for it, and that's my question. Uh, Maddie, Ron mentioned Pandora and Spotify. If you're at either one of those companies, how nervous are you? I. I don't know if I'm that nervous if I'm a if a Pandora because I just feel like
4: Pandora is a little bit of a different model. I, I think I know Apple wants to do radio. They want to do iTunes radio. They want to get it right. I still think this is more of a streaming music play versus a, a music discovery service that Pandora is. So Sounds, I, I feel like Pandora's got you do it. Do
3: you subscribe to a streaming music
2: yourself?
4: Uh, just
1: Pandora. Okay. So you actually pay. I pay. You do. Yeah. I, I like the free. Uh, Run. <laughs> Tim Cook has maintained throughout this year that by the end of 2014. A big new product is coming. Does this acquisition tip his hand that it's absolutely going to be related to music? I don't necessarily think so. What caught my eye this week, more so than the Beats
2: even, was a comment from a a VP at Apple who said, Apple's product lineup for the rest of this year is the best it's been in 25 years. Those are big, bold words. Um, the Worldwide Developer Conference for Apple is in San Francisco on Monday. I hope to learn more um, about what's coming. But I think this is the year, finally, where we're going to see some innovation. Well, and, and it's it's amazing to see the new love fest
4: for Apple. I mean, Apple, is right. the stock has been up, I mean, I don't know how many consecutive days in a row. But, I mean,
2: it is just, and you've got upgrades out there. Stock's up I mean, 14% this year, 64% from its 52-week low. I mean, yeah. so finally people have woken up, as you said. Ron's
1: got the numbers. All right. From technology to the sexy World of packaged meats. Shares of Hillshire Brands up more than forty percent this week after two separate companies made bids. First, Pilgrim's Pride offered to buy Hillshire for six point four billion. Two days later, Tyson Foods comes in with an offer of six point eight billion. Maddie, I like ballpark Franks and Jimmy Dean sausage as much as the next guy, but what is going on here? Well, where's the beef?
4: And it's clearly and Hillshire Brands. No, this this to me. I mean, this is this is. Says more to me about the M and A market than, in particular, about Hillshire Brands and what they have, and, and sausages and hot dogs and beef. I mean, it's you know what what you have now is a, is a market. Especially in the food and beverage industry, where you know companies have to, pardon the pun, cut the fat, I and mean, we've seen that a lot across the what board. And you so with the zingers today, yeah, you know, so these companies are, are running lean operations. They're looking to grow, and you know, there's not a lot of growth to be had yet. There's a lot of cash on the balance sheet, so this is an easy way with food and beverage. It's very easy to sort of tack on operations or tack on brands, flow it through the distribution system, gain you know uh, global scale. Um, it makes a lot of sense. I mean, so we see this happen a lot. If you if you've studied market uh, cycles in the past, we're at that point now. Where there's not a lot of growth to be had, companies are going to start loosing the purse strings, and it's not surprising to see the food and beverage industry be but, but first. But from
3: the standpoint of society, is this something we we want more of? More tube form meat? I mean, it's, in terms of the, <laughs> absolutely, the my, my dad yes, used to work on. at a as a as a sausage delivery boy, and he won't eat sausages to this day uh, when he was young, just just because he saw. But how about those
2: commercials with the sun, the, the Jimmy Dean sausage? Those are great commercials. Don't watch, right. t- I don't watch commercials. TV, that's, that's watch TV. Uh, Ron, You don't eat tubed meat, and you don't watch I don't TV. Need tubed meat. You don't yeah. <laughs>
3: Are you American, James? No, I'm you know, they put the tube meat in the animal intestine. They clean it out, then that's that's what they stick the sausage in. So it's doubly gross from my standpoint.
1: I like to think that the process has been um, cleaned, up. cleaned up since your dad was making sausage back in the but, day. But
3: it is animal intestine. That's what they use. Sometimes, well, someone, sometimes they synthesize that out of cow cellulose. fat, also.
1: Well, that animal yeah. intestine business is somehow worth about $7 billion, apparently. <laughs> yeah, so. yeah, people like it. Uh, Ron, t- uh, to the point Maddie made, uh, w- the IPO market over the last 6-12 months has gotten a lot of attention, but it really does seem. When you see deals like this, it really does seem like we could be seeing more m activity throughout the year.
2: I think that's right. And Maddie's right. The, the, the balance sheets are so bloated. We've got so much cash. We've raised dividends. We've bought back stock. And yet there's still tons and tons of cash out there on these balance sheets. So we're going to start to consolidate. People are going to cut costs. It probably doesn't bode well for employment, by the way, because people get laid off um, when synergies abound. Um, but I think we're going to see more of it.
1: This week at the Code Conference in California, Google unveiled the latest version of its self-driving car. Uh, James, uh, no steering wheel, uh, maximum speed of 25 miles an hour. Uh, And Google says they're not selling them. They've made 100 prototypes. They're just going to sort of get them out there to test. But i got to say, I watched the videos that they put together. I'm I'm starting to turn around on this idea. To turn around in a good way or a bad way? In a good, way. In a good before, way. Before, I just thought it was yet another step in the rise of the machines, and our, <laughs> our robotic overlords were one step closer. And now I look at it, and I think, I think I want one of those. Well,
3: they, I mean, they put people in the idea. Is people can... can Ride in this car who who you might not otherwise want to have behind the wheel um, you know and and, and and that's that's a good thing I mean that's that's safer I mean I, maybe its initial use is a, is a punitive measure someone who, whose driver's license has been revoked has to ride at 25 miles per hour in this car I mean big picture wise uh, it's it's certainly interesting technolo- technologically speaking, but it's it's sort of reinventing. The same wheel instead of doing something new for transportation, I mean, it's just gonna—it it doesn't take away cars. It just makes more slow-moving cars in the cities, and maybe they'll be faster. Blah blah blah. We can use them on. College campuses or retirement communities, but it's it's not a big step forward. It's just like a refined version of an existing step.
2: One day, I look forward to commuting to work, eating the tuba meat, watching TV, and <laughs> yes. a Google. I would sleep. Car. I would yes. sleep
1: in my, my self driven car. Yeah. <laughs> All right, let's move over to retail. Uh, Michael Kors fourth quarter profit up fifty nine percent. Revenue up more than 50%. And, Matty, their North American, same-store sales, up more than 20%. And yet, the stock didn't really move. What's going on? Well, it, it, there's, there's, there's questions over margins. There's
4: also the stock price that's just been on an absolute tear. And um, I, I think the number here you said, I mean, tw- plus 20% comps in North America. Contrast that with Coach, whose comps in North How America- i dare you. <laughs> I'm sorry, sorry, Ryan, But they were down 21%. And really, paradoxically, that is why I can never get excited about Michael Kors because, to me, what you have there is a complete fashion shift. Essentially, all those people who, for years, had gone over to Coach to buy the, the leather handbags or to buy the you know the uh, jackets, the coats, and everything—they're just going across the, the mall floor to, to Michael Kors now, and I just think that's something that can shift very quickly. Um, I, I To me, I can't find anything that says Michael Kors, on a competitive, long-term competitive basis,
1: is doing anything more special than Coach. I will say that uh, in all of the positives in this quarter, I didn't see a ton about their e-commerce strategy, and, and maybe I just wasn't looking hard enough, but it does seem like the retailers over the last six months who have done well, the specialty retailers, part of it has been a really strong e-commerce strategy. I'm thinking about William Sonoma, Kate Spade, that sort of thing. Right. I, I, I hear what you're saying about the fashion stuff. It, it seems like if Michael Kors wants to take the next step, doesn't it have to be online? I,
4: I believe so. So that, that's, the, that's the real test of it, I think, truly, of, a, of whether or not this, this kind of business can sustain itself long-term.
3: You're not a long-term believer, it sounds like.
4: I am not in no, Michael yeah, Kors. Yeah. Fashion's a tough I mean, business yeah, in general. Apparel, I, I, just, I, hate, I don't hate it, but I just I'm, I'm not
1: a usual fan of that industry. It's too tough. Coming up, former Microsoft CEO Steve Ballmer appears to have found himself a brand new job. Stay right here. This is Motley Full money. money. You only give me your funny Welcome back to Motley Full Money. Chris Hill here in studio with Matt Argus Singer, James Early, and Ron Gross. Let's keep going with retail, guys. Costco's third quarter profits up 3%, revenue up 7%. Ron, it seemed like, on balance, a pretty good quarter, but it didn't really blow anyone away. I think that's fair. Um,
2: Compared to other retailers, pretty good, but otherwise relatively mediocre. Thank goodness we didn't hear about the weather. Um, we, so we had CompStar sales up 4%, 6%, and if you exclude fuel and foreign currency exchange, um, which is pretty good, um, especially compared to the other folks. Uh, margins a little bit weak, SG&A operating expenses um, a little bit higher than I think some were expecting, but all in all... You know, company continues to execute, 88% retention rates for its membership model. Um, new store openings, probably another 30 this year. International expansion continues. So the company continues to do what it, it's it's done for quite some time. Stock's not screamingly cheap at $115 a share.
1: You mentioned the international expansion. When you look at the same-store sales, they are no two ways about it. They're better in the U.S. than they are internationally. Is that a challenge that management has spoken to? I'm just wondering if the Costco model is just not as sticky outside the U.S.
2: That might be fair. They
1: haven't spoken directly
2: to it, at least not not that I've seen. Um, it also may take a while for the, the warehouse model in general to kind of become more pervasive overseas.
1: Shares of Abercrombie and Fitch up 5% on Thursday after first quarter results were better than expected, uh, which James, That means they just lost less money in the quarter than Wall Street was expecting them to. Yeah, I mean they're actually making some some
3: smart changes. To, to, to be to be fair to them, they're they're changing the the, the format of Abercrombie. They're lightening up their Hollister stores. Uh, I mean the place looked like a, a drug den before. And I, <laughs> I felt like I needed night vision goggles every time uh, Ron and I would go in there with our high school <laughs> friends before. But um, I've never been into a Hollister. But I've never the, socialized <laughs> with James. The, their comps dropped four percent, which was sounds bad, but was better than the five point nine percent expected, and better than the five point five percent drop in the overall teen. Uh, retail index, but you know, compared to this is a, from a Market Watch article, I think compared to to like 2007, their their EPS is like. You know, way less than half, and, and operating margins are down by 50%. So These guys have got to do something. Just like we talked about Coach earlier, Retail is Coach and, and Michael Kors, retail is fickle and they're, they're bust to the fire here.
1: You mentioned the changes, and Abercrombie CEO Mike Jeffries uh, gave an interview recently where he talked about some of the changes that they are making, and I was really surprised by what he said because it made complete sense to me. He talked about things like, oh, we're going to cut down on the fragrance that we spritz in the stores, the advertising which seems so Focused on uh, showing models abs, they're cutting back on that. They're making bigger sizes. It really seems like they're trying to make their stores and their clothing more attractive. Which is funny, you know. In, in 2010,
3: the CEO said that his clothes are only for quote the good-looking, cool kids. And there are certain people who don't belong in his clothes, specifically overweight people. So he's he's really done an about face, eating his own words here. But it's you know, it's what they need. to Average do. Average-looking people have money to spend too. Yeah, come on. I mean. But the models are only Abercrombie models. He said he wants to make it like a movie experience. That's why
1: everything's all black (laughs) and white. You can follow this radio show on Twitter. At Motley Fool Money is our handle. If you follow Matt Argusinger on Twitter, then you saw this nugget that he tweeted out this week. I've got this bad feeling that 3D Systems is the next nuanced communications, a mashup of bad acquisitions and shareholder abuse. Uh, Which gives me the chance to point out that shares of 3D Systems down more than 10% this week after the company announced a secondary stock offering of around 6 million shares. What are they going to do with that money? Just go out and make some more acquisitions? Well, first of all, you know, Twitter. I tend
4: to be a little more sensational on Twitter than I am in real life, uh, certainly on the radio show. Uh, but no, I, I yeah, they've got a secondary offering, three hundred million. This is not unusual for three D Systems. They've done this many times in their past, and I wish they had done it when the stock was at ninety five dollars a share uh, back in January, because uh, that would have been you know much cheaper for shareholders. But. The the thing with 3D systems, the thing that that is starting to bug me a little bit, and it's bugged me for a, a while now, is that you know this is a company that essentially is issuing stock which is a good thing. It's a pricey stock, but an issuing stock to raise capital and, and just spending like mad on new acquisitions. I mean, this is a company that makes dozens of acquisitions every year. Um, and the idea here is, well, you know, the growth looks great. And so you have to focus on the organic growth. And even if you go back to last quarter, you know, they had 28% organic growth. But you have to remember, that's just for acquisitions that were made prior to one year ago. And so the company makes so many acquisitions that, you know, it's, it's able to report, you know, general good revenue growth and organic revenue growth. And at some point, like Nuance, I believe they're going to make some bad acquisitions. They probably already have. And that's going to result in lower growth. It's going to result in write-downs. Um, and for a company like this, that's that's priced the way it is. It's, it's not good for the stock.
1: You were at the Consumer Electronics Show in Las Vegas at the beginning of the year. You saw a ton of th- companies in this space. Are we going to see a lot of consolidation when it comes to 3D printing?
4: Well, we already have, and, that's, and, and with 3D Systems, Stratasys and the others are, are buying a lot of these smaller companies. My problem is, though, they're making a lot of acquisitions in the consumer space, which I view as is, is really just not the place you want to be investing if you're, if you're looking at 3D printing
1: technology. Former Microsoft CEO Steve Ballmer is buying the Los Angeles Clippers for $2 billion. Uh, some people seem surprised he paid so much for a team that has never been considered to be very good. Uh, Ron, maybe they're unfamiliar (laughs) with his history of overpaying for stuff when he was CEO of (laughs) Microsoft. Um, (laughs) Wow. Nice one. As I said before we started taping, I'm happy for Steve Ballmer. I'm happy that he's doing this because he's learned one of the secrets of life, which is find an easy act to follow. And Don Sterling, <laughs> well, he, the, he, the, the, at the, for the moment, still the owner of the LA Clippers, is not just the most hated owner in pro sports. According to a recent poll, he's the most hated man in America. Yeah, it's oh, good oh. to be
2: the white knight that, that rides in. Um, even though he's relinquished power to his wife, I read that he's still he's going to fight this and he's not selling. So there might be a quite a road ahead. It's, it here. still
1: needs to get approval from the league. Um, but yeah, good.
2: I think I think it's good for the team. And then, as I said, they needed a white knight. Um, there were several bidders. Um, he went a little bit higher than the rest. That's quite a big number. I think it's good for sports franchises in general. If you're an owner, um, and so yeah, let's. Are let's you go. are you a basketball fan yourself, Ron? Um, no, not really. Gotcha. I, two billion. I mean, like two billion dollars is uh, for the L.A. Clippers.
4: That is. I mean, if I'm any other. Sports major sports franchise owner. I'm sitting here with the job of the hut. Who? Because I mean, th- I mean, <laughs> if you think about it, if you're any other team. I mean, other teams. A own arenas. They own real estate. They own all of the retail operations mm-hmm. around. I mean, it's, they own TV rights. that are they're very valuable. L.A. Clippers for two billion. I'm I'm still blown away.
1: I'm speechless. It, um, Ron. Yeah. If you had two billion to blow on something, are you buying a sports team? What are you buying for two billion? Wow. Mm. Not a sports team. No, no, no I don't I, think so. You go on an island, yeah, private say, island. Yeah,
2: that really, <laughs> really is where I'm going. Maddie, what about
4: you? Oh, I, I, I would love a sports franchise, but I, I can't afford one now with two billion. If I can only get the Clippers for two
3: billion, forget it.
1: James, you're not buying a sports team.
3: N- no, no, I, I would. I would... I'd do something. I'd buy some sausages and,
1: and destroy them just to, to, to help humanity. Let's bring in our man from the other side of the, at the glass, Steve Brodo. Steve, $2 billion, what are you going to pony up for? Your own set of olive gardens?
0: I'm buying the biggest water park in the universe. Really? Yeah. I love water parks. Okay. Bigger the better.
1: You can always drop us an email. Radio at fool.com is our email address. That's radio at fool.com. We've got about a minute left, guys. Email from Rick Baker in Connecticut. As one of your dozens of listeners and an ardent student of the market, I find the flood of information regarding not just the market but individual stocks a bit overwhelming. So my question is, if you were limited to evaluating just three financial metrics to determine if a stock was worthy of consideration, what would you use? Uh, let's just go down the line. You can each take one. Ron, a lot of things. Price so, earnings. Right. Price to sales. There are
2: metrics that talk about the health of a company and how they're doing, and there are metrics that talk about the stock and if it's cheap or not. I'm going stock here. And my favorite metric would be price to free cash flow.
1: All right, Maddie. What
4: about you? It's a good one, but I'm going with insider ownership. I mean, if I it just if if an insider at the, if a major insider or executive at a company owns more than five or ten percent of the company, that answers so many
3: questions right off the bat. James. Going with return on invested capital. It's sort of like if you if you borrow money from a bank and you owe seven percent on that loan, you better invest it to make at least seven percent, right, to be
1: viable. So that's the same idea for a company. All right, James Early, Ron Gross, Matt Argusinger, guys. We'll see you a little bit later in the show. I need a dollar, dollar. Keep those emails coming. Radio at fool.com is our email address. Adam Carolla is next. Don't go anywhere. You're listening to Motley Fool Money.
3: Show me the money.
1: Welcome back to Motley Fool Money. I'm Chris Hill. Throughout American history, prominent leaders have written books before running for President of the United States. The book is a chance to share their vision for the country. And with the next presidential election just two years away, this scenario is playing out one more time. Adam Carolla is a radio and TV host, comedian, actor, best-selling author, and his latest book is President Me, The America That's In My Head. Adam, thank you so much for being here.
0: Thanks so much for having me on the program.
1: Uh, so this book is your manifesto, your vision for America um, one of the things in your book uh, that comes across when you're writing about energy is uh, you're you're pretty focused in your day-to-day life on energy efficiency. This seems to be a, a, an issue that uh, you have a lot of passion about.
0: Well, I was thinking about it. I mean, I, I every day when I come through my front door, some light my kids' room's on, I came home the other day, uh, my family had uh, barbecued without me because I was out on the road. I walked outside. It was a gas, in natural gas barbecue. Uh, I came out a day later. The barbecue was still burning, a, a day in like like JFK's eternal flame. And I, I realized I walk around just shutting things off, turning off TVs, turning off computers, shutting off barbecues. I realized. All we do is talk about fracking and natural gas and solar and alternative fuels and wind power. Our country, honestly, and I'm not kidding, could start saving 25% in energy costs starting tomorrow if everyone would just wake up and start shutting crap off instead of the guy who pays for it. Like if, they, if we honestly just took every child, woman, man, everyone who was in the house and who wasn't currently paying the electricity bill, the gas bill, the energy bill, if we put them all on the clock, we could save 25% tomorrow. I mean, how often have you just driven past a commercial building on a Saturday and just seen it lit up like a Christmas tree and there was nobody in it? Or just you you drive by an office and you see up on the eighth floor, it's all lit up, and it's 10 o'clock at night. How many times, I live in Los Angeles. There's always a drought going on. I'll drive along the freeway. The two days out of the year, it's raining. I'll see the sprinklers going off. The automatic sprinklers will be turned on while it's raining. We could honestly save 25% in this in this world without doing anything, building no grid, doing no solar, not putting another coal fired power plant online. Nothing. Just 25% starting tomorrow, if everyone would just wake the hell up.
1: You're listening to Motley Fool Money, talking with Adam Carolla. His new book is President Me, The America That's In My Head. Uh, You also host The Adam Carolla Show, which holds the Guinness World Record for the most downloaded podcast. Um, We were talking about this during the break. Um, You're involved in a lawsuit right now that I find um, in some ways hilarious, um, but in other ways, uh, a little scary. And uh, I I was hoping you could talk a little bit about it because on our daily podcast, Market Foolery, last month, we actually took an entire episode just talking about legal issues. And, And we talked about the fact that you're now being sued by someone who claims to have the patent on podcast technology and I guess they're looking to get a cut of the money you make off your podcast. What What is the status of that right now?
0: Well, I was just uh, in uh, Washington, D.C., and I just uh, went up to the Hill, and I just spoke about this. And they just had a uh, bill that they were looking to pass that was going to get these guys uh, under control, and I think it was Leahy from uh, Vermont to put the kibosh on it. So uh, Congress is interested in doing something, except for as per usual, they're doing nothing. And it's the kind of thing where I think in I believe it was Leahy in his in his statement he said, you know, patent trolls are a scourge. It's a big issue, and it must be uh, addressed. Just not now. <laughs> so. Uh, there 's your government snapping into action once again everybody
1: well um, I, I should mention you have uh you have a legal defense fund that you have set up for this lawsuit um, i 've contributed to it. Anyone else interested in contributing to it can go to fundanything dot com slash patent troll
0: yes uh, thank you for for mentioning that um, it's 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 pretty simple. patent trolls have been around for a while. They buy a patent, and they use them, and they use them to, you know, like a stick to beat businesses, a normally big business, but once-in-a-while small business, in our case, and these guys, too, and they have a district in eastern Texas that is very friendly to them and their ilk, and they run all their court cases through, I think, Lubbock, Texas, and... They're not in Texas. We're not in Texas. We tried to get a venue change. The judge, who doesn't get elected and is not going anywhere, he basically has tenure, said, no, it'll take place in eastern Texas in my district, uh, even though all they have is a P.O. box. Could you imagine telling the government, oh, yeah, I I, I live in California, I work in California, but I have a P.O. box in Nevada, so those are the taxes I'm going to pay. I, I met I you can only imagine how good that would go over with the federal government but either way the government is kind of with these guys or at least this part of eastern Texas is because it brings a lot of commerce to their small town the juries are friendly to them and they sue people for a living they buy a patent they say you're using our technology without our consent and then either pay us or we'll sue you well we realize if we pay them then they're just gonna go after every podcast so why wouldn't they go after your podcast as soon as they're done cashing my check so instead we circled the wagons I spoke to many other people in the podcast community and we said look we're gonna raise money we're gonna fight these guys unfortunately this kind of litigation is amongst the most expensive litigation there is it is literally 1.5 million dollars is the estimate for fighting a case like this. Now, we will win because we didn't do anything. And, or, or, by the way, if we lose, look out, Internet, because everybody's next. But it's going to cost 105, you know, $1.5 million to find out that they didn't have a case. And this is why we need reform, because these guys sue with impunity. They know just how expensive it is to defend yourself. And they know that most people settle because you're business. And you don't want to pay $1.5 million to attorneys and go back and forth to eastern Texas. It's the cost of doing business and lost opportunity as well. So there needs to be reform. There should have been. And it got shot down about two days ago. So we'll see. Uh, We'll see what the man does about it until then. And we're on our own anyway. So we've raised uh, about $400,000. And we spend it about as fast as we get it, and it's all going toward beating these guys and you know clearing, making it safe for the world to
1: podcast. Well, we we have a lot of podcast listeners, not as many as your show has, but again, the the website if you're looking to contribute is anything dot com slash patent troll. Adam, you strike me as someone who. I think a lot of people know from one aspect of your professional life, maybe they listen to the podcast or they've read one of your books or they remember you from the man show or something like that. But when I step back and look at the body of your work, you've you've been involved in pretty much every aspect of the entertainment business. I am curious, do you have one that you particularly enjoy more than the others, whether it's for monetary reasons or just because you enjoy doing it?
0: I just finished doing an independent film, which is, you know, really hard work, but, but, but really satisfying. Um, I, you know, as I, as I get a little bit older, and as I raise twins, I start to sort of think about leaving a, a mark, so to speak. And I realize being in radio all these years and doing a podcast all these years and all that kind of stuff, it's great, but it sort of, it sort of goes up into the ether so to speak, whereas writing a book, making a movie, uh, I'm just finishing an independent documentary uh, on Paul Newman and his racing career, his driving. He was a professional driver. Um, so for me, leaving something behind, you know, just a, a couple of DVDs and a couple of books that says I was on this planet is kind of kind of a nice legacy, but. Um, Doing the podcast is is fun. It's on my own terms. It's in my own studio that I built and so on and so forth. But it's really just the variety. It's it's literally, you know, I'm out on a book tour right now and I'll be up on stage in Chicago later on talking with Richard Roper and taking questions about the book. And then on the ride home, I'll be on the airplane looking at a rough cut of my independent Romantic comedy and and working on that. And when I get back to L.A., I'll put the finishing touches on the Newman documentary, and then we'll do a podcast that night. And uh, a month from now, we'll start start working on season two of Catch a Predator or <laughs> Catch a Contractor, my uh, Spike show, home improvement show. So it's it's really the variety. I suppose if I did any one of them for any length of time, I would probably get tired of them.
1: Do you ever sleep?
0: You know, something something happened. I lost my job in uh, Terrestrial Radio about five years ago. And um, I no longer, for the first time in my career, I didn't have a contract. And it was really kind of scary not having income, not having a guaranteed anything, just, you know, living gig to gig, so to speak. And I just, and, and it was right about the time... Or with short, you know, my twins were two years old, and I, for the first time in my career, lost my job and had no nothing, nothing on the, nothing, you know, nothing but speculation, on on the horizon. And I just sort of kicked into overdrive, and it's worked out quite nicely. Unfortunately, I haven't slowed down, <laughs> so I'm gonna have to just sort of realize, you know, I'm gonna have to stop, you know. Show business is an easy business to run scared in because it's a lot of here today, gone tomorrow, and you don't know, you know, you're only as good as your last book or your last podcast or your last whatever. But I guess at a certain point, I should just, re- just go, look, you know, <laughs> reel it in a little, champ. You're fine and uh, take it easy. And I think that's what I'm going to start doing as soon as I'm done with this book tour.
1: Uh, you mentioned your kids, that you and your wife, the future First Lady Lynette, um, have. Um, th- your kids are getting a little older. I'm curious, um, is because we have parents who listen to the show, what is what is one thing about money that you've tried to teach your children?
0: Well, I, I, I'm, tr- I'm trying to teach them that it exists, <laughs> because I'm trying to teach my wife that too. Um, and the reason I say that is everything, is everything is plastic now. Everything is a debit. Everything is automatic payment. Everything They don't see money. They don't handle money. It's, you know, my stuff goes right into the account. Uh, everything gets sort of paid for automatically. When they go out for frozen yogurt, mama pulls a piece of blue plastic out of her wallet, just swipes it. Daddy magically pays for it. It, it doesn't exist in its own weird way it's not it's not tangible i mean you know back in the day when you paid for things with pelts and you had to go get those pelts or you had to go get that silver or that gold man it meant something you know when you bartered it meant something if somebody said you know "I'll, i'll give you a pint of ale but you go cut a cord of wood for me you it meant it that that pint of ale meant something when it was in your hand, and now I don't. I, I'm trying to I'm trying to teach them that this stuff does feel like something. And the reason I'm on a book tour is the reason Mama gets to swipe her credit card and get your frozen yogurt. So I'm trying, but it's hard in a world where everything's a debit card and a swipe, and you walk out of the store with whatever you want.
1: Final question, and then I'll let you go because I know you're, uh, you're busy with your book tour. Uh, just this week, Taco Bell appointed a new CEO. Uh, Brian Nickel had been one of uh, Taco Bell's executives prior to getting the top job. Are you surprised that you didn't get some consideration as the next CEO of Taco Bell?
0: Well, you're alluding to my last book, <laughs> not Taco Bell material. It would have been nice, as they say, to at least have gotten a phone call but uh, once again, yeah, I, tr- I applied for a job at the North Hollywood Taco Bell when I was 16, and I was turned down. <laughs> which Doesn't do wonders for your ego as a uh, 16-year-old male coming up. But um, it would have it would have been nice. And my first uh, order of business would be to bring back the Bell Beaver, which uh, if uh, your listeners don't are familiar with, they can look up and marvel at. <laughs>
1: The book is President Me, the America that's in my head. It's already an Amazon bestseller. Adam Carolla, thank you so much for being here and uh, keep fighting the patent trolls. Thanks so much, Chris. Coming up, we'll give you an inside look at the stocks on our radar. This is Motley Fool Money. As always, people on the program may have interest in the stocks they talk about, and the Motley Fool may have formal recommendations for or against. So don't buy or sell stocks based solely on what you hear. Welcome back to Motley Fool Money. Chris Hill here in studio with Matt Argusinger, James Early, and Ron Gross. Guys, it is that time, once again, time for the stocks on our radar. And we'll bring in our man Steve Broido from the other side of the glass to hit you with a question. Ron Gross, you're up first. What do you got this week?
2: Finally, 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 I am able to recommend Amazon. Really? A-M-Z-N. What? Stock is off 25% from um, its 52-week high. We've been waiting for a pullback. We really like this business. Jeff Bezos, Uh, knows what he's doing. Um, Many different ways this company can go, but obviously they are the the, the big big gorilla in the e-commerce business, and we think there's good things to come.
1: Steve, question about Amazon.com?
2: So I'm a shareholder, and my dad always yells at me about this and says, when are they going to make any money. Exactly why the stock is off 25%. I think people are getting fatigued waiting for profits. We like the fact that they're spending money to build out their distribution facilities, their technology, their marketing. We're okay waiting. We're long-term investors. Profits will come.
1: So, that sounds like, I don't know. <laughs>
2: yeah, I don't know. When are they going to make money? I don't yeah,
1: know. know. Maddie. what are you looking at? Uh,
4: I got a company that's about to make a lot of money, and it's Yahoo, ticker Y-H-O-O. Um, as most people know, you know Alibaba, which is the ginormous Chinese e-commerce giant, speaking of e-commerce, um, that's about to go public any day now, um, and that's going to bring a huge windfall to Yahoo, which owns about 24% of the company. Um, if you strip out Alibaba, strip out uh, Yahoo Japan, strip out some cash from Yahoo, Yahoo, the core business, say what you will about it, is trading for about one and a half times EBITDA. Incredibly cheap, and I'm not a guy who usually likes cheap stocks, but I just think... It looks too good to pass up right now. We just recently recommended it in Supernova. Um, and I'm excited to see what happens with the Alibaba IPO and what that does for Yahoo!. Steve, question about Yahoo.
0: What about all of Yahoo's legacy stuff that people used to know—the Yahoo forums and the chat and yahoo they were they were involved in everything. Yahoo Mail, and now it seems like all that's pretty much gone by the wayside. Well,
4: you know, you'd be surprised. There's still many many users that use that uh, those platforms. But again, it's Marissa Meyer's taking the company in a little bit different direction, investing hard into content, mobile we'll see if any of that pays off but she's really going to be put her test she's going to be tested after this Alibaba uh, IPO and that's that's what I'm interested in seeing
1: James Early,
3: what are you looking at Going this week? Going with a company called Orange, uh, formerly France Telecom, but then they adopted the name of their mobile brand. This is an income investor recommendation. It's up 30% year-to-date. I've just upgraded the valuation. This got pounded for the past several years. It's just really crawled out of the toilet. It, it was down because uh, they had suicide problems. They had uh, all kinds of uh, economic issues. There's this former porn entrepreneur in France who has now made a rival telecom brand called Free, which is uh, really taking market share, but now Orange is finally... Finally found some footing, and, and, and their free fall has been sort of averted. Dividend is around seven percent; that's going to get cut, but I see still a nice dividend and certainly upside in this stock. O R A
1: N is the ticker. Steve, question about Orange?
0: Seems like a lot of drama there. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> James, do you, have a, do you have a favorite French film star? I, is there
3: you're more than one? The wrong guy. You're asking the wrong guy. I've not seen a movie in, in many years. To my Marlon
4: Brando, Last Thing in Paris, Million's American, Gerard yeah. Depardieu. Yeah. I was just going to say, oh, yeah, uh, yeah. He's a
1: winemaker now. You know that? I did not. Steve, do you have a favorite uh, French? Julia soul?
2: Pinoche, perhaps. Oh. the
1: lovely and talented Julia Pinoche. We'll wrap up there. Ron Gross, Matt and James Early, guys. Thanks for being yeah, here. Thank Chris. you. That's going to do it for this edition of Motley Fool Money. The show is mixed by Rick Engdahl. Our engineer is Steve Broido. Our producer is Matt Greer. I'm Chris Hill. Thanks for listening.